0: When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me!
1: Looking for good ideas for life?
0: You're far from good hands. Hey bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order. Even in the future nothing works! Hosted. By a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway, thinking of is working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. Alright, guys, uh, listen to this to blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Want to play a game?
1: Oh, yeah!
0: Lover of true crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow, with the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs what led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game, Killers the Card Game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals. I'm a cop, you idiot! However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game.
1: Hello everybody, my name is Tommy Lee Wallace, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.
0: Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in a podcast world, Croc. Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next gentleman has been tied to a certain horror franchise called Halloween, but also a few other things, such as It the miniseries, and a bunch of other projects through the years, he's got a new little book out. Halloween 3, Where the Hell is Michael Myers? Tommy Lee Wallace, how are you doing? Very well. How are you doing, Jonathan? Can't complain. Nobody listens anyway. Uh I'm liking the hat, by the way. I Thank appreciate you. It. Yeah, with the yeah,
1: it, a fan dropped that off to my table not too long ago.
0: Awesome. So, first and foremost, the new read uh, comes out or came out during the 40th anniversary, which was last year. There it is.
1: Oh, it looks like that, although this is not the book itself. It's, yes, it's a little thicker than that.
0: Yeah, mine is in the mail. I know it will be here in a few days, which is awesome. Yeah. So, obviously, after 40 years of since part three, why now go in-depth with the story? Well, 40 years uh,
1: is one good reason, the 40th anniversary. Uh, you know, these things are sometimes serendipitous. Uh, a friend uh, who I helped in the movie business a long time ago and who's done very well for himself, Uh, name of Harrison, uh, Bruce Harrison Smith, uh, recently published a book and got to talking with the publisher and came to find out the publisher adores Halloween 3. It's one of his favorite movies and all that. And uh, so he asked him if he'd be interested in a... uh, an account of the making of the movie, and uh, he was delighted. This is uh, a uh, you know a small publishing company that specializes in this sort of thing, and so uh, my friend put the two of us together. We talked a little bit, and uh, that was it. Uh, we uh, came to an agreement, and uh, time seemed right. I didn't really think I'd have that much to say about it. But uh, once I got going, I found I had a lot to say about it, and uh, so I gave an account of the book—I mean, of the movie—and uh, it. Uh, I hope it interests the fans. It. Uh, I think it tells the story pretty well. Uh, it was an unlikely thing—a uh, a, a movie with a Roman numeral after it—that was not really a sequel at all, and uh, therein lies the tale.
0: Yeah, and we'll dive into that a little bit but the gentleman you mentioned is that harrison smith the director yes nice great guy friend known him for a while
1: yeah yeah yeah. i i I knew him when he called himself bruce which is his uh, first name yeah and uh he uh, approached me very early on about doing a movie which uh never actually came off but uh we've became friends behind that, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And uh,
0: since then, he's really been doing well for himself, so I'm very proud of it. Exactly. I was actually looking for his book on my shelf here. I know I have it somewhere, but, you know, yeah. it's a very good read. Well, uh, he's
1: he's a true movie fan. and uh,
0: Exactly. You get that vibe from him.
1: Yeah, he loves the experience of watching movies and talking about them, especially scary movies and sci-fi
0: exactly and halloween three has a mixture of both with that and
1: yeah yeah, i guess so
0: yeah when you think about it and obviously for a lot of years and i'm friendly with stacy nelkin who was in the movie great lady as well and we were talking about it and so i'll get your perspective on it because i'd never spoken with you or anything this is first time we're meeting yeah for a lot of years the film was shit on because it's oh it's halloween three but there hence the title of the book there was no michael myers so in recent years the film has gotten a lot more respect and love from fans
1: yeah
0: and part of i would say my argument is because i've always liked the movie thank you so but part of my reason of liking it was or I should say that I always mentioned, and I'm sure you've heard this argument, that if it was titled Something Else, which I actually heard you come up with a good idea in a, another conversation, it would have gotten more love. Would you say that was true?
1: Well, it's
0: a funny, you really had to thread the needle on that
1: one because had it been released just as, say, Season of the Witch, uh, great. Might have gone out there if it really gotten promoted. It might have found a fan base. But that was not the deal. That was not the premise upon which it was based, which was we're going to give you money, but you got to call this thing Halloween 3. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, John and Deborah, uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who were behind the original Halloween as well as uh, Halloween 2. They were up to here with uh, The Shape, otherwise known as Michael Myers. And uh, they they didn't want to do any more of that saga. So I think in truth, they were, they were sort of looking to pass. The train was going to leave that station anyway. Uh, but they did offer up a proposal that, okay, we'll stay on board if we can do something completely different. And the powers that be... Uh, the money behind the project, uh, you know, they, they knew the talents involved. Uh, by then, John and Deborah had uh, really become a, a force to be reckoned with. Certainly after the two Halloweens, not to mention the fog, mm-hmm. uh, they could attract money. And so these guys said, all right, do anything you want. Which I think may have taken John and Deborah a little by surprise, but it was like, well, okay, we'll come up with something. Yeah, that that went on like that, uh, and Deborah I think came up with the, the pitch, the elevator pitch, you know, uh, uh, witchcraft meets the computer age, um, and all that was well and good, but the H three part, the Halloween three part, stuck all the way through. I think we could have been rescued by a super effective ad campaign, which I go into in my book. Yeah. If the fans of Halloween 1 and 2 had truly been in on what was happening, uh, hey, folks, we're going to try something new this year, blah, 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 ad campaign that really tells it so that that people don't feel ripped off. uh, I think we would have been fine. But from top to bottom, nobody thought of that for some stupid reason. I think we were all pretty busy just trying to make the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, had had that been the case, I think we would have done better. But uh, that's all water under the bridge. It has finally found its way into the sunlight. And uh, you, you can imagine how gratifying that is after all these years.
0: Exactly. And before we move forward and dive in more into the book and everything, you mentioned Deborah Hill. And John Carpenter, but Deborah Hill specifically, a little tidbit for you. She obviously, you know, that she got the name of Haddonfield for, for the franchise from Haddonfield, New Jersey.
1: Right, her hometown.
0: I live in a town called, <laughs> which is about two miles from Haddonfield, New Jersey. That's great. So I figured you'd appreciate that little tidbit there.
1: I, I'm wondering uh, have you been back to the Haddonfield world? Recently, uh, as far as the franchise and the three, well, I'm just wondering if Haddonfield uh, has put up a sign or anything to say this, even though it, the the uh, movie says it's Illinois. This
0: is the real Haddonfield. Something I have not different. seen. I go through Haddonfield often. I haven't seen anything like that, which I think would be cool.
1: You know, usually city fathers are interested in anything that promotes their town. So. yeah and especially father, that's a I, fathers and mothers who knows the mayor may be a woman
0: yeah I don't know but the other cool thing is that I heard spent he spent time in Haddonfield for a bit I don't know how true it is is Steven Spielberg as a child really yeah apparently his his family lived in South Jersey for a bit as well wow I, I heard it was
1: that's a new tidbit for me I I thought he was a main guy all the way.
0: Okay. No, you're thinking Stephen King, Maine.
1: Oh, who'd you you say? Spielberg. Oh, oh, another whole matter. Yeah. And he, I thought, was a uh,
0: Southwestern
1: guy all the way, out around Phoenix somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things kicked around. But obviously, Deborah called you. I think you were finishing up uh, Amityville, too as a screenwriter. So where, when did they say, Hey, do you want to come back uh, home essentially to, <laughs> I think uh, they said that about five minutes after Joe Dante decided
1: he was going to do another project instead of Halloween three. Uh, he was on board very briefly when they were getting started. He was, uh, I think instrumental uh, as was John in uh Getting Nigel Neal on board as the writer uh, to expand on that uh, elevator pitch, uh, so they called me up after uh, after Joe fell through, which I was very glad about because you probably already know I said uh, I dropped out of Halloween Two. Uh,
0: I've heard parts of that. Yeah,
1: I was the director uh, designate of Halloween Two in the early days. Uh, up until the time that John turned in the script. And I'm sorry to say, uh, I just hated it. Uh, Halloween, the original Halloween, I thought was a real fine piece of art. Uh, Really did something cool, which was make arguably the scariest movie ever with virtually no blood and guts uh, and gore. Uh, And, I can really get off on a tangent talking about the difference between scary and gory. There's a fine, strong, red line to me between the two. Well, I'm and curious to hear a little bit of that. If you well, know. Gory is not scary. Okay. Gory is gory. And uh, if you like gory, if you like torture porn like Saw, well, more power to you. Go buy a ticket and watch it. But I don't find any of that scary. I just find it kind of annoying and disgusting. Uh, whereas good scariness is like an elaborate piece of music. You, you've got to work very hard to set up expectation, play the audience up and down and back and forth. And it had nothing to do with how much blood you show or you know how many, how many veins are dripping or any of the rest. Um, and that was what Halloween was all about now uh quite a bit of time elapsed between halloween and halloween Mm 2 and i think john who along with deborah knew the market as well or better than anyone else had noticed the arms race of of violence and gore in uh horror movies ever since halloween picked kicked off basically kicked off the new wave franchises uh and that arms race just, it was perfectly natural for that arms race to mean, okay, we're going to have some new kills in this movie and boy, they're going to be spectacular and it's going to be wow, right through the head and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that uh, John and Deborah felt that and felt a certain amount of market pressure by the time Halloween II rolled around to do that. Uh, I didn't agree And I was very disappointed when the script finally uh, appeared and it was just so gory and it didn't have anything new to me to add to the story itself. It was just, you know, five minutes later and clearly it worked for a lot of people. That movie went out there and made quite a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so nobody else objected. And I know people who prefer Halloween 2 to the original. So it's a matter of taste but as a director of the movie <clears throat> I had to uh every director if they are in their right mind they have to find a way to be 100% enthusiastic about the script they have to know the script they have to love the script they have to really want to bring it to life and I didn't feel any of those things about the Halloween 2 script so not only would I have probably done a second-rate job, but John and Deborah, John and Deborah deserved better than that. <clears throat> uh, they needed a director who was 100% high on the project. So it it hurt to do it, and uh, probably didn't help my career a bit. But I had to say no and walk away.
0: Well, obviously, I know you and John were involved with the rewrite for three. Yeah. So when obviously you saw the first, whether it be the elevator pitch or initial script or anything, what appealed to you about three? Oh, well,
1: I'd say in a nutshell, it was a, it's not going to be a rehash of the Michael Myers saga you know no big knife no babysitters no jamie lee no nothing clean slate that that was really appealing a chance to go back into the family as it were with john and deborah and other people who were going to be involved who i consider my colleagues that was big too to to be invited back especially after saying no on halloween too Many times in Hollywood, that's kind of the uh, kiss of death in terms of someone calling you back. If you said no to them, it's uh, widely looked upon as a kind of insult. And so you don't hear from them again. Of course, John and Deborah, especially John, these were old friends. And so it wasn't quite the same knee jerk reflex action on their part. And I was very gratified when I got that phone call. Uh, knowing that we could start fresh with something new i was excited about that notion uh the script of course that there's another script that had its own set of problems which i (laughs) i go into great detail in the book about that but it was a uh an exciting idea and nigel made of it a lot of of what you see on the screen i'd say 60 percent of what nigel wrote is still still in there uh, and so uh, it, it wasn't very hard to say yes <clears throat> I was still looking for my first directing full length feature project you know opportunity and uh, so it, it felt good I, I was excited there was a lot of pressure involved because uh, most movies if uh, you have a release date well that's pretty serious business but if you had to slip a, a, a week here or a month there, that's one thing. But not with Halloween. That's October the 31st. So th- that's on the calendar. And every day ticking by brings you closer to that date. So there was a lot of pressure involved, too. But it was fun. And, uh, and I couldn't have asked for a better situation, better crew, better support, uh, producing. It, it was uh, an ideal opportunity for a first-timer.
0: Well, speaking of crew, and I just, again, love the guy, since I've gotten to know him a little bit, is Dean Cundy. Yeah, a gentleman and, and a scholar. Oh, you stole the words out of my mouth. And <laughs> it's amazing that, especially when you go back to part one, and he's done been involved with many franchises and stuff, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, all that stuff as well. But how he came up and the technology wasn't the same, but how he would like the steady cam with a uh, Judith's death in the first one, and you know, steady just little cam, things. Steady cam yeah. with the what with Judith's death in the first one to start the oh, movie.
1: Judith's death. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh uh Dean was up on what was happening, and John uh of course needs Uh, Plenty of that credit as well because uh, that POV camera is powerful stuff. And up until that point, people had to make that effect with a uh, handheld camera, which gives off a completely different effect. Uh, The the, uh, glide camera, the Panaglide or Steadicam, uh, that's an unmistakable effect. And it was just, it had just been invented. It hadn't Mm -hmm. been out there any time at all before uh, we got hold of it. And, of course, Dean had an enormous amount to do with that. Uh, He was also coming off of a long string of low-budget movies with Deborah Hill. They had worked together uh, considerably uh, beyond that. And he was ready for more. You know, clearly he was ready to... uh, take it to a higher level, which he certainly did.
0: Absolutely. So, obviously, a big thing in recent years, and I guess it has to do with Marvel and all that other stuff, other franchises. And it's been a big debate because I mentioned the original, or the new three that came out with Jamie Lee these past couple of years. Would you say Halloween has its own universe because some will say well one and two then it skips around can trying to connect the storylines so
1: well look I, i'm not much of an expert on what happened with a halloween after one and two and three i'd lost interest completely and so i have no idea i mean there are tons and tons of people out there who just adore every film and they have their favorite kills, and they have their favorite shape, you know, and they can name who played him in what movie and so on and so forth. I I really haven't followed it very closely since the first one. It's a universe for certain. That, that story, uh, which originally was entitled The Babysitter Murders, mm-hmm. uh, just... Kept on keeping on. And it's funny because uh, all of us, John included, felt that after we'd done the original Halloween, well, not much more to say. It was our, Actually, when Halloween 2 came along, we were all like, what? We did. We made the perfect horror movie. What else is there to say on that subject? Well, we were pretty naive. Clearly, there was a lot more to say about it that audiences were willing to buy a ticket for um so you know it just expanded out oh their brother and sister blah 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 you know and it goes oh and there's a cousin oh but and oh he was reborn i don't remember why mm-hmm. I, the audience didn't care about the fact that oh he he was totally killed in halloween too well no we're hungry we, we want more movies so we don't care about that just start over again yeah you know? Hey, the rules just get thrown out the window uh, when the idea is popular enough. And exactly. Man, who knew? I We certainly knew uh, in the cutting room, we knew that we were making a good, scary movie, that it would go out there and somebody would enjoy it. But none of us had any idea of the the phenomenon that was going to come out of it.
0: Well, I want to go back to the book for a second. And like you said, you were surprised, but also honored to do the book with the anniversary and such. But when you started writing, were you a guy that kept notes and stuff from different projects you worked on? Or was this a lot of it from memory? most of it was from
1: memory i i do keep uh i have a room full of stuff from my old movies mostly you know, paperwork uh some photographs but for the most part i didn't take extensive notes of that sort i didn't keep a journal for example or anything like that uh but uh yeah i was drawing from memories that uh so many of them had been kind of buried because uh, you've got to remember, Jonathan, I came off of Halloween and got slapped in the face on Halloween 3 with the perception that it was a failure. And boy, that hurt, especially hurt because when you look at the figures, it wasn't that big of a flop. Even people who were disappointed that there was no Michael Myers in the story uh, and who walked out of the theaters, famously, uh, even taking that into account, it made pretty good money uh, in its initial release. And yet it was perceived as a total flop because of the, the rash of, of hate that went out behind the fact that it wasn't a Michael Myers story. And man, you know, it took uh, 20 years certainly before i started hearing little glimmers of people saying hey wait i love that movie that was a good movie Mm -hmm. and by now you don't find nearly as many halloween three haters as there once were which of course feels good
0: well is it i I got off track did i answer your question No, no you did you no you did uh but i'm curious to know if this is true or not was about the masks And I referenced with your hat there You have the Pumpkin, the skeleton And the witch yeah. Which everybody knows And the good part about the Three Pete that came out recently With Jamie Lay and all In Kills And there was ref- were Parts 1 and 2 From 2018 on There were references to those masks Given a yeah. little tidbit
1: so I hear. Uh, I, I haven't seen those movies,
0: so I don't and, know. But, but uh, I do but hear that. From people who've seen the movies and the franchise, you pick up on it right away. Yeah. But was it true that you noticed differences between the mask you were famous for coming up with in part one, the Shatner that was changed over Yeah. to what I'll Don Post example. did?
1: Captain Kirk mask, we'll call yes. it. Well, Don Post made for two, before, I, before any of us even knew there was a Don Post, he was the man behind that original mask I found on the shelf. Uh, we none of us knew him, and his name wasn't prominently displayed on the box or anything. But Deborah, uh, after Halloween one, it was all me modifying these masks that I bought at the at the Hollywood Novelties Store. Uh, And that was the way Halloween got made. But when they started going into production on uh, Halloween 2, Deborah contacted Don Post. And although she was initially using the masks I created, the the actual masks, they were even then getting pretty fragile. Uh, That latex was quite thin. And uh, so I think she made an attempt to have Don make a few actual shape masks uh, from his molds of, of the Captain Kirk mask. Uh, Don Post tells me that, that he did that, in fact, but uh, there's been a great big argument raging about uh, Halloween two and which masks got used in which scenes people who really paid attention to the movie might be able to, uh, to uh, cast a a more knowing eye on the whole thing. But uh, I can't declare with any certainty, which mask got used in which scene and all of that. I, uh, I did see Halloween too, of course. And uh, I could tell from time to time that there was something different. Didn't look quite the same. I attribute that, A, to the fact that uh, instead of Nick Castle or me wearing the mask, which we did throughout Halloween, original Halloween, uh, it was uh, Dick Warlock behind the mask in Halloween Two, and his face is shaped a little bit differently. Exactly. That, That was half of it. The other half is that if Don made masks and they used them in certain scenes, in Halloween 2, I guarantee you that latex was thicker uh, on those later masks. So the debate can continue. I don't know which mask got used when, but Don did assure me that uh, he did make some masks for Halloween 2.
0: Well, with that being said, would, where I was going to go with that was. Was it true when you with the masks from one and two and Don Post and everything you just said that it led to finding and creating uh, three prominent masks on your hat and or in part three?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Deborah, uh, we we knew we were going to need some kind of Halloween masks. The script that Nigel wrote did not specify exactly what those masks were. Uh, the way it was written, pardon me, the way it was written, it was left pretty general, just the nature of those masks. And in the book, I've actually got a sketch of a, a clown. <laughs> you know, I was experimenting with what three masks are going to be ideal. Uh, Deborah, having gotten acquainted with Don on Halloween 2, had, of course, the a good idea to look we're going to need masks because i'm the one who articulated okay there are three of them and <laughs> there's going to be for sure a uh, a pumpkin some kind of jack-o-lantern and the details got a little fuzzy until we went to visit don and had a chat and deborah of course was guarding our budget ferociously uh as suppose producers two, do two and a half million dollars sounded to me like a lot of money because I was used to working on, you know, scotch tape and chewing gum kind of budgets. So, wow, two and a half million, but it doesn't go that far. And so Deborah was, was hawking the budget. And she worked out a deal with Don where he would supply the masks, all the masks we needed, uh, in exchange for the, uh, reprodu- the, he'd hang on to the copyright and uh, reproduce them and sell them. And of course, he was, I'm sure, imagining a, a Star Wars sort of phenomenon with the, uh, oh, this is going to be a giant hit and everybody in America will want one of these. But uh, long story, <laughs> still not that short. Uh, he had on the shelf a skull, which we all liked very much. And so that was like, okay, check, that's that's in there. And as it turned out, the same guy who was uh, I'm blanking on his name, but his sculptor, one of his sculptors, was working on a witch. Uh, and so in addition to the skull, which at that time, by the way, came in three colors and glowed in the dark, uh, the the witch came quickly uh it was already sort of on the drawing board and so that was a no brainer then we we jointly designed the pumpkin and uh color combination the three subjects everything that was a nice bit of uh of kismet because i just to me the and and the the products that you can pick up now Primarily through Trick or Treat Studio, it's just astonishing. The it works so well. Those three colors, those three images. I they sent me some wrapping paper, gift wrap paper with those these on there, and uh, I've got a Ouija board back here. The product line now is just unbelievable. It just goes on forever. But anyway, uh, yeah, we definitely went straight toward Don like a laser beam, and he was very, very helpful.
0: Well, with that being said, and you having an art background, how much did you say, I like this, I like that, not just with the mask, but obviously directors have their hands on everything with the project, but how helpful was the art background that you had? Oh,
1: it's, you know, I used it every day. It's, uh, It's a very handy thing to to be a designer. Uh, I suppose that uh, some other director might come into it by way of the theater, working with actors. I think for me, that was an unknown territory and probably safe to say it was a weakness for me. I really had to do my homework to get with actors. But the design part of it, the composing for the frame, set building, Uh, all of that was just duck soup for me. I just jumped right in. And, of course, Peter Jameson, my designer on the show, I didn't want to step on his toes too much because a a smart director won't try to do it all. You'll just try to guide everybody's creative talents and funnel them into one thing. But uh, So Peter gets an immense amount of the credit for the look of Halloween 3. But, yeah, I, I use my design uh, background every day.
0: Well, the book is definitely available now, Amazon, and I'll have links to the publisher. But I want to ask you, why I still have some time, there was a picture I just learned about and seen from the original Halloween rap party when you guys were all uh-huh. playing.
1: Yeah, guitar. The, that uh, our informal group, uh, John, Nick, Castle, and me—we uh, called ourselves the Coupe de Villes, <laughs> and uh, we, yes, we played our rap party. And there were three masks, uh, e- at least three. I can't remember how many I made. It was either it was m- at least three and no more than five. But anyway, we had three around, so we put them on to start our uh, our set.
0: Well, I was going to ask when you chuckled about that. Was there a little livation <laughs> per se at this rap party Like
1: Bullet. Is, is that Yes, a, it
0: is. Yeah. Are you a Boat fan yourself or? Yeah,
1: Bullet Rye. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um Yeah, you know, we uh uh all of us were uh we pretty heavy drinkers back then. As I recall we, to play the music. We, we wouldn't have gotten drunk before, yeah. before doing our set, but uh, sure. Everybody was drinking it up and smoking it up. Like uh, virtually everybody else we knew at that time.
0: Exactly. Actually,
1: actually, by the time Halloween, Halloween two, Halloween three came around, cocaine was starting to take Hollywood by storm. And it, That wasn't, I I was never much of a fan of that, but man, it was everywhere. It was just everywhere. And uh, I think it ruined several people's lives.
0: And Uh, took lives and all that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It uh, really had a, a weird effect on a movie set.
0: With part three, I'm curious to know, what was the most challenging thing for you?
1: You know, I, I, I don't mean to slough off the question, but thinking back on it, I was so very ready to direct a movie. Uh, You know, film school experiences with John, experiences outside of John's sphere, a ton of experience. And I, I, by then I'd done set painting jobs and, uh, animation cameraman, you know i really was well-rounded by the time editing room experience i was well-rounded by the time the movie got going and if that weren't enough to get me through smoothly i had the benefit of this fantastic crew this was not just some people put together for that one movie the way it usually happens this was a group that by now Some of us had done three, four, five movies together. So this was a well-oiled machine. And uh, I'd say uh, I I just had it so good. John was supportive uh, as a producer, kind of a silent partner producer. He kept his distance, which I appreciate to this day, because uh, you can imagine if he was standing around on set all day, that could be sort of intimidating for a director another director Uh, besides he was very busy in post-production on the thing at the same time this movie was going on that being said deborah barry Bernardi, uh jeffrey chernoff production team was impeccable dean and his crew were fantastic peter and his crew impeccable so I, i didn't have too many awful times I, i'd say the biggest struggle we had was with the script uh getting it fully ready to put in front of the cameras and it, when you read the, b- the book you'll see that uh i do a little question and answer with myself in the book about oh second thoughts uh would you like to go back and fix that <laughs> there's a little plot problem over here how about that you know If it would have been great to have more time to uh, refine the script a little bit more. But that said, uh, we pulled it off, and it didn't hurt very much, you know? I I just can't answer that question very effectively because I didn't have that many challenges, frankly.
0: And last thing on Halloween 3, I want to ask, because there's another project I want to bring up that you were involved with recently that I had seen, documentary-wise. But in H three, the one thing, and I still can't fully watch it today. Is the and I'm pretty. I can handle a lot, whether it be gore or violence or you know, I can run the gamut. But there's one thing that kind of irks at me, and I can't fully watch it. And it's the scene towards the end of the movie with the pumpkin and the kid. The kid and the pumpkin, sure. So, how did you pull that off? Was that? animation what was the process to pull that off especially at that time
1: no i what you see is what you get there wasn't uh there wasn't a lot of animation there wasn't any animation involved there was a a uh, a, a beginning middle and an end in terms of the uh mask itself the beginning of course was ordinary mask in the middle it was a, a kind of a soft melting mask and in the end, it was a really oozy mask. Uh, live creatures and and snakes—that that was no joke, man. We were working with a rattlesnake on the set, uh, <laughs> among other creatures uh, that are less odious. Uh, but the rattlesnake was scary. Yeah, uh,
0: hey, I think it's like the like you said, the melting and the yeah you know, the the formation yeah. that well, got the, to me.
1: The young actor. You know, he he had to get his hands in that, I guess it was stage two, and start holding the mask and it's very sponge-like and he had to squeeze it and everything. Uh, that was the money shot for me was that moment when he's like, oh no, whatever's going on with his poor little face and his head inside that mask cannot be good. And then when he flops over and bugs start coming out. And, and the
0: snake head, and yeah. Like, oh
1: no, I can't, oh no. Uh, but of course that's, that was the effect it was supposed to have. So,
0: yeah, that was that home run. I would say anything, whether it's uh, the effects or whatever. That that little portion there was definitely the home run. I think. I want to ask you though. Okay. Now,
1: do you consider that scene
0: gory? I wouldn't say gory is not the term I would use because, like I said, I can watch the. Damn it. like i've just recently watched the terrifier movies and there's other stuff that i've seen that that bloody and gory and everything else but i wish i could pinpoint it that there's just something like that second stage like you said when he's grabbing the face and then well, that I, you go ooh. Ugh. i'm
1: gonna submit to you that that i i don't consider that gore i consider that an idea that gets inside you yeah uh, a really fiendish idea. And I think that Nigel was particularly good at introducing that sort of way of doing horror uh, in this story. And we, John and I carried the ball with the the contributions we made in the script. But I think it's different when you're about to mutilate somebody or cut them up or put a hook through their, face and stuff like that that to me is pointless is that the story no it's just a side venture down some basically torture porn uh whereas this was wait a minute this is right at the heart of the story this is what's going to happen to these kids if this guy succeeds in making Mm. these masks Mm. do their magic uh, their evil magic on these children that's right into the point of the story so uh, to me, that's justifiable. I won't call it gore,
0: but justifiable grisliness mm-hmm. that makes and, you win. And you mentioned the mental side. I would say, and I mean this respectfully, it's a total mental fuck. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. where it just gets in your head. There, you get like you said. It's like,
1: oh, geez, like. Yeah.
0: But we're talking. Like you about, said, it's but it's also like you said within the context of the story that was being told in the film.
1: We're talking about ideas. Yeah, storytelling ideas, as opposed to
0: guy kills
1: guy. You
0: know. Yeah, exactly. That, guy tortures But it—that's what made it unique and different, and why I appreciate not just yeah. that part, but the story, because it was different compared to every like you said, guy on guy murder or whatever the case is that you yeah, see in other graphic, franchises.
1: Graphic murder.
0: Yeah, it's you know it. Well, I mentioned Stacy earlier, but I got to ask before I ask you about this other project is Dan O'Hurley and Tom Atkins for the two men or excuse me, the two male roles in the picture. So, Protagonist, what it, antagonist. What was it about those two that you said these guys are right for what they did in the film?
1: You mean, uh,
0: how did I go about casting them? Well, casting them, and because they, it's just, like, I can't sit here and go, well, why not go Robert De Niro, Billy Billy Crystal, or or name other names. But what was it for you about those two that you go, (laughs) that these guys work for what we're trying to accomplish here?
1: Well, first, we have to dispense with the notion that on every movie, every casting decision is precisely for art. That's generally not how it works. It, there are a dozen other considerations that go into every part. Who's available? Can we afford this person? Uh, Robert De Niro, no, we can't afford him, okay? You know, you go, you go through the list of the usual suspects, and we had a list for uh, Dr. Chalice, and we had a list for Connell Cochran. Uh, and... Uh, I will tell you that uh, before we arrived at Dan O'Herlihy, I was trying to get Fred McMurray.
0: Do you remember Fred McMurray? I've seen some of his work, but I don't.
1: It would have been been really interesting because most people of my generation knew Fred McMurray from TV kind of uh, Disney movies or TV movies about this rather fatherly or avuncular guy who stands around smoking a pipe. and uh, Like my my
0: three sons. My three
1: sons' dad, you know, that kind of benevolent figure, which, great. But anybody who is a real fan of the movies, especially Billy Wilder movies, might recall a movie called Double Indemnity. Fred McMurray starred in that against Barbara Stanwyck, and they, they plot to commit a murder. And he was evil. He was horrifying, and he played it so well. Well, th- he didn't get those parts later in his life. So I thought, oh my God, this would be a coup if we could get him. He didn't. Uh, he didn't respond. He didn't want to do that. Uh, he was well past uh, his acting career, at least as he perceived it, and was not going to be uh, called back into action for our cheap little, low-budget horror film. That said, as soon as Deborah, it was Deborah, Dan O'Hurley was pretty much Deborah's idea. And as soon as she said it, uh, I thought, yeah, let's do it. I think that just makes perfect sense. And of course, he turned out to be just brilliant in his part, just perfect. And uh, I think a a lot of credit goes to Nigel Neal too. He created that villain. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, John and I may have tweaked it here and there. I think I rewrote the speech at the end. That's so much about Halloween itself. You know, when he is talking to to Tom Atkins' character and it's about to walk out of the room, but he he gives a little lecture first on the, the, the history rituals, of the rituals of Halloween. Uh, that said, uh, that was a great part. and and a great performance now in the case of tommy atkins we had like i said the usual suspects great big long list of people that we might be able to get for this uh for this part and of course a few that were absolutely not realistic you know uh your your budget is not going to allow you to go out and get real star power uh Tom was sort of in the family. By then, I'd worked with him on The Fog. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was part of the ensemble. We were in the same social circle, thanks to Adrienne Barbeau, who was John's wife at the time, and old friends with Tommy. Well, that was another one where uh, Deborah, I think, was leading the idea of using Tom as a sort of uh, May-December type relationship between him and this young girl which was for the time at least it was kind of edgy the idea that we would put them together it's like oh yeah but he's not like classically uh blah blah blah, blah and he's too old for her and she's blah 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 and we said Fuck that we don't care it's gonna work and it did man i thought uh, now i can't imagine anybody but tom atkins in that rock in that role and it doesn't hurt that after all these years, he's just a total cult figure. Uh, I think he, his performance and his presence in the uh, in the con world, uh, m- kind of didn't didn't hurt a bit to uh, increase Halloween Three's cachet as people started finding out about it.
0: And I'll I'll say I crossed paths at a show with him that I was invited to. One a con one of the five minutes, you know, hey, how you doing? All that kind of stuff. you know, we're passing each other in the green room. The and I've heard fans say and co-workers and everybody else, and it seems true. Just one of the nicest guys you'd ever come oh, across. He's a prince. We uh he's a mensch, yeah.
1: We've been at last year, uh Tom and Stacy and I did two or maybe three shows together. And uh, I got a chance to uh, show Tom around Memphis. Uh, oh, nice. It was in high summer. I walked his ass off. He, <laughs> finally, he finally stopped me and said, how old are you? Just like he did in the movie with Stacy. And I told him. And it turns out he's several years older than me. He said, you got to stop walking me around. Let's get an Uber right now. Uh, <laughs> but no, what a good guy. Yeah. Really good.
0: But the other thing I wanted to bring up that I saw you in was the documentary for Pennywise, the story of it, because you were involved with the TV series, which I got on DVD. (laughs)
1: Involved is a is an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. I I was involved in it. Yeah. Yeah, But
0: you were involved with the documentary, which Gary Smart and that crew just recently put out last year, and it's been doing well. Uh So I'm curious to know if you had some uh, quick thoughts when you think of the miniseries and doing something for Stephen King.
1: Well, Stephen King and I still have yet to meet face to face. We corresponded, uh, snail mail actually. Uh, but this was in Vancouver and he was back in Maine. So we never actually physically met, uh, but I'm a fan, of course, and was honored and delighted to be able to take hold of that, that uh, movie and do my best with it. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of affection for it. Uh, because it was a hard assignment, you, you asked about challenges on Halloween 3. Uh, it, although it was just as well produced and I had just as much support, it was a physically challenging movie to bring off uh, again, script wise, because you're packing a 1000 page novel into not even four hours. Uh, two, two, two night miniseries. And each night was a two hour TV movie, but you well know two hours of television is actually, it's, 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 let's see, uh, six uh, 20. Uh, it's something like 43 minutes for each hour or something like, anyway, it's just riddled with commercials. Uh, So he didn't have much time to tell the story. And I feel like uh, we did that very well, especially night one, uh, Larry Cohen's script for the first night. This is the only time I know uh, the, that, uh, television's structure which is all about the commercials uh <clears throat> actually lent itself to the dramatics of that story because on television a two-hour miniseries at that time was divided into seven segments well in the book you got seven characters and that's how larry structured it uh beautiful beautiful great script uh the second night was a bigger struggle because uh, Larry didn't really want to come out and work with me on it. I suppose if I'd uh, really persisted, he might have relented or if I'd agreed to do it over the phone or something. But he was reluctant. I think that he'd put in a lot of time at that point. And I think he'd fulfilled his commitment, so there wasn't going to be any more money in it for him. But uh, be that as it may, I had to finish the second night myself. Uh, I was the only free fast director around uh, free fast writer around Uh, and uh, but it's adequate, you know, uh, we, we, we got the story told, but my, my biggest affection about Halloween three uh, about it uh, is the casting. I think that was our secret weapon. Uh, What, most people may overlook about Stephen King is that although everybody calls him the master of horror and this and that Stephen King is really the master of childhood he talks a lot about the rites of passage of children in a very compassionate understanding way Uh, and that's at the heart of it is that story of bonding as children and loyalty with each other and helping each other through painful times that really touches the heart uh, so the certainly a lot of scary stuff in it but to me at the heart of it is a story about these seven young people bonding with each other and i think we nailed that uh not only in the scene work but in the casting of the children versus the adults mm-hmm. i thought the casting. It was very convincing to me that those children grew up to be those adults, which is often a failing in a movie where you have to change actors because of the aging process. doesn't always work. And I felt like that was our secret weapon.
0: Again, one of those things that it just worked with the people that were cast for those roles. But final question for you is, and Earl, you're talking about not being a fan of gore and like in certain things and both the pluses and the minuses so I like asking when Mr. Wallace spends his entertainment dollar whether it be on streaming going to a movie theater whatever the case may be where do you prefer to put your entertainment money towards what do you enjoy I'm
1: all over the map with that question I uh I still like a good horror movie uh but I haven't seen one in, in quite a while uh probably get out was the last one i really enjoyed uh but uh in other uh areas genres uh i'm always ready for a, a western and i'm crazy about the the british mysteries and detective stories and murders that you see on uh, pbs of all places man they are jesus christ they're good they, the directing the writing the casting, I can't get over how I I would consider it a feather in my cap had I ever done one or two of those. Uh, they're every bit as good as anything I ever dreamed of doing. So I can't say enough good things about that. I you know, even even feel-good movies, family dramas and stuff like that, fine with me. Uh as long as it's a well told story, uh I'm I'm there
0: right on. Well, the book is Halloween 3, Where is Michael Myers? It's available now. Like I said, the links will be there. Mr. Wallace, thank you. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's almost time is be in
0: front of- hey there, Friday fans, we know how much you enjoy the movies, enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends? over at camp blood customs out of new york state and order your specific custom mask from any of the films all orders are made specifically your needs and wants are make sure you find camp blood customs on facebook instagram and all over social media and order yours today
1: Hi, this is Adrienne Barbeau, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.